Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Amen. Good morning. Can we thank these guys for leading us in worship? Awesome. Thank y'all. Can we thank the Lord for the truth of those words that we just sang? Man, how powerful is that? The truth that the Lord loves us more and deeper and further and more powerful than we will ever know or understand, and that He first loved us when we were sinners. Man, I love that. So thank y'all for leading us in worship. And welcome to The Vessel. Thank y'all so much for being here this morning. If you're joining us from church at home, thank you for participating. We would love for you to interact and not be a ghost or a lurker online. So if you would, just take a minute to say good morning, to let us know you're here watching, um, as that we want to create community online. And that's really hard, uh, as social media is supposed to be this beautiful tool to unite us and to bring us together. But we all know from experience, uh, it can be a bit divisive at times. And so thank you for being here this morning through Church at Home. If I don't know you, my name is Jake Toman, and I serve as the lead pastor here at The Vessel. And uh, the past several weeks, as we've started the year 2020, we have been talking about our vision as a church and what our vision is and why that's important. And so uh, we're going to be wrapping that up today. And if you're, if you're new or you don't know much about the vessel, it's a great opportunity for you to kind of get a feel of who we are. And so last night, I've been having trouble sleeping lately, which is strange because I never have trouble sleeping. And so last night, I got up and I went in my office and I just read and I couldn't sleep. But I thought about us as a body and us as a people and us as a church and us as a congregation and I just, I just thought about how cool it is that the Lord is shaping us and giving us identity and giving us direction and is giving us purpose. And not that, not that we haven't always had that, but just as I sat and I paused and I looked at what the Lord's doing right now, I really, that became really evident to me of who he's shaping us into and why he's brought us together and who he's called us to be. And so our vision um, has definitely been significant part of that, kind of giving us direction and calling us as out as a church to not just be a body, uh, but to, to what he's called us to do. And so uh, we've talked about that a lot over the past several weeks about what a vision statement is and what it means as us as a church to do these things. And so if you are here at the vessel and you're like, I don't know what to do, you do this. This is what you do. And so the, the, the first two weeks, we talked about what it means to have an inward relationship with one another. That means that you're, this is a place that you're known. This is a place where we want you to be known. We want to be known by you. Uh, scripture talks in the New Testament over 100 times. It calls us to love one another, to accept one another, to bear one another's burdens, to forgive one another to spur one another on towards good deeds, to wash one another's feet. And over a hundred times, a statement of one another is used in scripture. And it's always, always, always talking about the church. And so we are called into relationship with one another. So if you aren't interested in that and you don't like that, um, church isn't a spot for you because this is what we're called to do. And we are never called to do this alone. And so the inward piece of our vision is to know one another 
it's, we, we have small groups that meet throughout our community, throughout the week. And so that's what we do in small groups is we pour into one another. We support one another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's what, um, it's what happens in Vessel Kids right now. As many of you are kid-free like myself, and your kid is back there with people that are serving, telling them the truth about Jesus Christ and intentionally building relationship with one another. My kids love church, and it is such a blessing. As coming into ministry and being a pastor, like you always hear about PKs, preacher kids, and how bad they are, and every PK I've ever met is just, you know, rotten to the core. That is not true. There are some of them in here now. But I, you always hear about, you know, your kids and, and getting baggage from the church. But man, and my kids are just in elementary, but they love church. They love church. I had to create a rule in my house because on Saturday night, my kids argue and fight over, can I go with you early in the morning, Dad? Can I go with you early? I want to be there with you. So now my kids know, if you ask me on Saturday night, if you can go with me to early to church on Sunday, the answer is always no. But on Sunday morning, if you are in my vehicle and ready to go, ready for church at seven o'clock, then you get to go with me. And so the kids have gotten that down pretty well, but there's always an issue. Then we talked about what it means to have an upward relationship with God and what, it, what that means for us to be the bride and for him to be our groom. And that's what we do here on Sunday mornings. When we come into this room, we gather in his name and in his midst. His word promises that he's here with us. And it's all of these different body parts that are brought together to be the church. And we come together and we get to worship him as our Lord and our Savior, our creator, our friend. And it's amazing that we get to come together and do that and what it looks like to, to come to him in prayer to have a relationship with Christ that is real. And I'll tell you what, in my testimony and my story, that was the piece, that was the key for me to understand who Jesus was and to truly give myself to him, to give my life away, to understand that he desired a relationship with me. And so this the last week, not last week, we were snowed in, which is a strange thing to say. But the week before and this Sunday, we're talking about what it means to have an outward relationship with the world, what it means to have an outward relationship with the world. And so despite all the challenges that this past week and the snowpocalypse 2021 brought, one thing it definitely brought in a silver lining is it gave us opportunity to have an outward relationship with the world. So as we've come into this and we began talking about this, man, the Lord, uh, I'm not so narcissistic to think that the Lord caused a snowstorm so that we could exercise our outward relationship with the world, but it gave us a beautiful opportunity. And I want you to know, Vessel, as a church, I saw and heard you rise to that occasion and to love those around you well. I heard of people going around from yard to yard on their streets and in their communities, cutting down branches, uh, for people uh, getting limbs out of trees, stacking them on people's curbs, uh, people that, women and moms that were single that said, I don't know what to do, what should I do? This big limb is hanging down, it's over my fence. To see people from the vessel go and say, well, let us take care of that and to cut that and to stack that. We saw people open their homes to one another. Many of you here, uh, you've seen each other all week because you stayed under the roof of someone else's house because you didn't have power, you didn't have water, you didn't have heat. And so we saw people open their homes and bring one another in and share food, share resources. We saw people um, that 
were basically free Ubers in snowy weather that brought people from one house to another that would deliver groceries. We saw the church respond to needs that even weren't weren't within our church. People in our community that, that needed water. We saw people bring firewood to one another. We saw people share groceries. Uh, Shay and I, we had a neighbor last night. They're like, we're, we're going to the grocery store tomorrow. Do you have eggs? And we're like digging through our drawer. We're like rationing them out. And so I just want you to know, church, I saw that really well this week. I saw you love well and um, have an outward relationship with the world. And that's what we're called to do. And so as a church and as a, as a body of Christ, that's one of the things the Lord is calling us to embrace and to be intentional about. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. What does it mean, not just in a spiritual, biblical sense, but what does it mean on a day-to-day living life sense to have an outward relationship in the world? There's so much temptation in Christ followers and Christians. And the fact is we get known for bubbling up, for getting in a Christian bubble, surrounding ourselves with other Christians and just believing what we all believe and talking about what we believe and and it becomes an insiders only. And my prayer every Sunday here at the vessel is that my, my, my prayer for 2021, I pray it every single Sunday and the Lord has been so faithful so far is to bring someone new. I was like, Lord, every Sunday in 2021, bring someone new that's never been. And so far the Lord has, has done that every single Sunday, including this one. How, we, how we're intentional about that. We went through our eldership process this past year at the end of 2020, and we instilled elders at, here at the Vessel uh, as an elder-led church. And one thing that we did to start that process is that we sent out a questionnaire for all of our elders. And there's a leadership questionnaire that was pretty in-depth, and so they had to answer some questions. And so um, one of the questions was this. It says, pick one area of vessel's vision, upward, inward, or outward. How do you think we can grow in this area? So the question was for each of the candidates, to, to the elder, prospective elder candidates, to choose an area that we want to grow in. And every, all three of our elders, and including me, each one of us chose outward ministry to focus and to see our church grow in our outward relationship with the world. And so that's what we're gonna focus on this morning. So before we jump into scripture, I'm gonna pray. Actually, I'm not gonna pray. Here's what I'm gonna do. I pray every Sunday. And I, I, I stop and I take time to pray that the Lord speak to us through his word. And so what I wanna ask this morning that you would do is I want you to pray that for yourself. I'm gonna pause. I want you to bow your head. And I want you to ask the Lord to speak to us as a church right now, to speak to yourself, to soften your heart. So wherever you are, in the room, online, if you would, bow your head now and pray that prayer. God, I thank you for your presence. Lord, we invite you into this time and into this space. God, into our hearts, into our heads. God, we we engage you with all that we are right now. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us individually right where we are? You know what we're going through. 
You know the journey and the road that we're walking. You know the victories. You know our struggles. You know our wins. You know our losses. You know our fears and our insecurities. And so we just invite you, Lord, to speak to all that, for you to be God. And God, I ask also that you speak to us as a collective, us as a body and us as a church. God, would your words be yours and not mine? We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. If you would, uh, if you brought your Bible with you, uh, or we're going to have it on the screen, if you turn to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to look at some scripture in Matthew chapter 9, and this is, this is right in the heart of Jesus' ministry as he's going along with his disciples, and we're going to see here the heart that the Lord has for um, the world around him and who, the, the, for this outward relationship that Jesus has with the world. And so I'm going to read in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look a little bit about what Jesus did himself, what motivated him in his relationship with the world too, and then finally we're going to look at what, he, what his response to that is that involves us. So in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, it says this, says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So we see the Lord um, in this interaction he has with his disciples, and he, he's, he's going from town to town, the to village to village, and he sees this harvest field. And this is the scripture about the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, is a very Christianese thing to say. It's something that's common in our language, it's common in our churches, and it means something to us. Well, what does Jesus truly mean by that? And so I want us to look at what we do and what motivates us when it comes to our outward relationship with the world. So first and foremost, it's important to know why Jesus did what he did. And the first thing we see here is that Jesus was moved by compassion. He was moved by compassion. In verse six, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to know that motivation matters that motivation matters, not just what you are doing, but why you are doing it. What is it that drives the activity and the action and the thing that you're doing? And Christians are really good, and Americans are really good about setting up behaviors and changing behaviors. We've got programs. I walked into the YMCA this morning. They've got a six-week reset program here at the YMCA. So if, man, if you came out of holidays and you ate too much and exercised too little, and then you meant to get back into it, but then this past week you just sat in your house and you didn't exercise and you just ate because you were bored. The YMCA has a six-week reset. This is not a commercial for the YMCA, don't worry. That you can hit the reset button figuratively, literally, and you can engage in six weeks and they're gonna get you back into shape and they're gonna get your body right and they're gonna get you eating healthy. And I don't know what all they do, but they've got a six-week reset. And we're really good at doing those things. We're good at changing behaviors, setting up accountabilities in our lives, using checklists to change the things that we're doing. So you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing this thing. And we do it as Christ followers. I'm gonna start reading my Bible. They've got, you, there's a Bible 
read the Bible in a year plan. And you can download on your phone and there's literally a checklist that you can check the boxes that you have read everything that's gonna march you along. And we focus so much on changing our behavior. But I I want us to look here at why did Jesus do what he did? Is that he wasn't motivated by a change of behavior. He was motivated by compassion that he saw within the people. But we often... When we think about changing our behavior, we embrace it. We embrace the idea that I can do this thing. I'm going to work on my marriage. We're going to go to to counseling, whatever that may be. I'm going to become a better teacher this year. Whatever it may be, we want to change this behavior, and we embrace that. But we often resist changing who we are. We often resist radical change because it makes us uncomfortable because it pushes us into areas that are unknown, areas that we don't have control over. We are people of control. And when we feel out of control, that's a bad thing. We feel like things are outside our control. And we live in this big, false lie that we control our lives. And we do everything we can to get control of that. But you and I know if you've ever had a tragedy, if you've ever lived through a pandemic, if you've ever had ice fall upon your house and your water and your electricity come off, you are in less control of your life than you realize. That you have less control than you realize. But we don't embrace that. We resist this radical change. It's why when we think about the church world, young people are typically the most attractive people. You can talk to Joe that works with college students. There's a magic in young people. People that are young adults, people that are in college, people that are right out of college. And the magic there is that they've got this willingness to change and do something radical. But the more we walk in our lives, the more we get in this rhythm, we resist change and we want to change behavior. But I want you to know that the why we do what we do, why we do what we do matters. And when we think about outward ministry of the world, it's easy to change that into a program. It's easy to change that into a checklist. It's easy to literally write a check rather than doing anything. And so I want to encourage us, church, to consider why Jesus did what he did and what he is calling us to do in our relationship with the world. It says that he was moved by compassion. Verse six says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. The word compassion in the Greek is the word splachnizma. Can you say that? Splach? Go ahead, say that. You, you probably need a mask on if you're sitting next to somebody. Splach? Splach? You got it like you're hawking a loogie. Splach? Nidzama. That's what the word compassion means. And the definition is even, like that sounds gross. The definition may be grosser. It says to be moved to one's bowels. Hence, to be moved with compassion or have compassion. That's the word. That's what Jesus felt in the moment. The word spachnizma, to be moved to one's bowels. But what it literally means and what Jesus is saying and what scripture is telling us about the Lord here is that this is one of the strongest words for emotion in the Greek. This is one of the strongest words of emotion in the Greek. And it is to feel something emotionally, to the depth of who you are. It's to to your core of who you are, to see something that's an injustice, to see someone that's hurting, and for it to move you to the depth of who you are. It's not scrolling through Facebook and seeing a post about someone rescuing a dog and thinking, oh, that is so sweet. I have compassion on animals. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
but it's being moved to the core of who you are that you're going to change your behavior, not behavior. You're going to change who you are for the sake of the world. And that's what Jesus felt. He felt this, this compassion for the people that he saw so deep, so significant that he couldn't not do something. It wasn't a checklist. He didn't do it because he should. He didn't treat them. He didn't look in scripture and say, oh, what do I do? Oh, I'm supposed to feed them. I'm supposed to heal them. Okay, I can do that. He didn't look at it that way. It was a reaction based off the depth of emotion that he felt for people. And it's how we are to respond to the brokenness of the human condition. I want you to know that when we see people in our world and we see people outside of the kingdom of heaven, that's the empathy and the compassion and how we're supposed to feel towards them. And like I said, this week, the ice storm has brought out the best in people, right? We've seen people respond. We've seen them help. We've seen them reach out on social media. Um, we've, I've seen people that, I went to neighbor's houses and we unfroze faucets and wrapped them all up and tried to save people's pipes from bursting. And that's really good to see the compassion we have for people. But the truth is what happens this next week and what happens the week after that and what happens six months or a year from now when things get back to normal? Do we still have compassion on people? Are we still moved so deeply that we're gonna change who we are and change our, our relationship with the people around us because of the love that we have for them? And that's how Jesus did. And that's how he saw people. The scripture says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were three things, he says. He says, first, they were harassed. It's translated, this word harassed here, because they were harassed. It translated literally to that they were flayed. That's a literal translation. There's some brutal language in this one verse here. It means that they were flayed, to have the skin peeled off their back. Now, literally, he didn't see people that were beaten Jesus wasn't looking at their physical. He was looking at the state of their spirit and their souls. That he saw beyond the outside and he saw people that were so beaten down by the weight of their sin that they, that they had been flayed. Have you, has anyone ever seen Stranger Things? Yes. Has anyone love Stranger Things? So good, right? So if you know, season three, spoiler, spoiler alert, is that the, this monster or whatever comes back and he, he takes over people and they're called the flayed, that they've been taken by this. What's his name again? What's the beast's name? Demogorgon, that's right. The Demogorgon takes over them and they become the flayed and they are no longer controlled by their own inhibitions, but this, this demon, this, this terrible beast controls them and they're called the flayed. And it's the same spirit of what Jesus sees and people, when he sees the state of their sin, that they're imprisoned in this sin, that the depth of who they are is flayed open. So he said that they were harassed, people torn apart by the state of their sin. He had compassion on them, not only because they were harassed, but because they were helpless, literally to be cast down. They were cast down when they could not stand. Again, not their physical, but the state of their soul. In Luke chapter four, verse 35, it's the same language used in scripture when demons are cast out of people and when demons take over uh, for people. And Luke four thirty-five says, be quiet, Jesus says sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before him and came out without injuring him. 
that that helpless literally means to be thrown down, not able to stand. And it says they had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were like sheep without a shepherd. No one to lead them, no one to care for them, no one to lay down their life for them. And you don't have to look far in our world to see people that are in desperate need of a shepherd that they are desperate for anything to hang on to that will give guidance, that will give protection, that will give care for their lives. And that's when Jesus saw them, that's what he saw in people. And we walk around as Christ followers and we get in these, our little bubbles and we think, no, they're, they're no good, they're the enemy. No, they're not the enemy. The enemy's the enemy. And we are to have compassion to be moved to our depth of core for the heart of those who don't know our Lord and Savior. And I want you to know the helping out and providing water for people that are without water, for, for meeting people's needs is really important. But we can't simply leave it at that and check a box that we've done our due diligence. We've got to have a compassion that changes who we are, that, that, that creates radical change in our lives. And so I want us to consider what do we think, we as a church and you as an individual, when we see people that aren't a part of the kingdom, how do we see them? How do you look at them in your life? Not only that, we see, so we see Jesus was moved by compassion. That was his motivation, and that was the reason that he did what he did. And then we see his response in, in verse 35. We see that Jesus went. Jesus went. Verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. How can you have compassion for someone that you don't know? How can you have compassion with someone that is homeless unless you look them in the eye, you have a conversation, you bring them a meal? How can you have a compassion for someone who's imprisoned if you don't visit them? How can you have compassion with someone who is differently abled, that has special needs, unless you, are lo- you allow them to love you? How can you have compassion with someone in Nepal if you don't go and visit? That Jesus, we see that he had a nomadic ministry. And as I read this and I considered this this week, that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. We see this is a hallmark and classic Jesus, is that the ministry that Jesus led and the ministry that Jesus had was an on-the-go nomadic ministry. And that challenged me as I considered that this week and I considered what this means for the vessel. Do we have a nomadic ministry? Would you call this nomadic I wouldn't. We come to a place on Sunday morning, same place every time, 10 o'clock, Chasco YMCA. And we meet in this place. We go back to our homes and we live in our spot. And I look at that in light of the ministry that Jesus led and it gives me pause. Jesus didn't sit on his, God didn't sit on his throne and tell people what to do and give orders. His word became flesh and he dwelt among us. When Jesus met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, it was when he was on the go. Jesus healed people. He fed 5,000. You read through scripture, you look at the places that he went. From town to town, from village to village, he went and he met people. 
Yet here we are, and we call people to this place to come to us, not for us to go out. And that convicted me this week. This past month, I have worked really hard uh, on part of my job, on search engine optimization. Does anyone know what search engine optimization is? No? Okay, the techie people in the room. It's basically creating, when people search for something on Google, uh, that they find what they're looking for and that they find you. And so I've worked on our website to create our website to be search engine optimized. There's nothing less pastoral and ministry focused that I've ever felt. I'm like working on our website. I'm like, this is terrible. This is terrible. And why do I do it? And I thought, because I want more people to know who we are. I want people to find us. I want the community to know that the vessel's here and know what the Lord's doing and to find and be able to arrive here. But as I looked at this, I thought, man, is that all in vain? Jesus never called people to come. And most of the times that he spent in the temples and the synagogues were not great experiences. He was turning over tables, fashioning whips, driving out the money lenders. And here we are, 2,021 years later, doing the same thing. And that's convicting. Now think, like, how hard would it be? Can we, like, take Gary and Jess, can we take all this stuff on the go? And, like, literally each Sunday we'll just walk out from here and we'll go through the neighborhoods and we'll worship and we'll preach the gospel. I don't think that's what we're supposed to do, but you never know. If you know me, you know classically I do not love Christian music. Uh, there's just something about it. I'm not a Christian music fan. I love worship, but like you listen to the Christian radio and there's something about it that I just, I just can't I have a hard time. And I, you know, I kind of like, I hear all these cheesy songs and they all sound the same and I kind of scoff at them like Christian music, you know, it's no good or whatever. And Nadia, I'm not even a music junkie, but this a uh, few weeks ago, we were listening to the radio because our kids love like the K-Love or the, the River Spirit, whatever the radio station is here. And there's a song in there, and it was just this classic Christian-y type song. It just sounded like every other Christian song. It was called, I wrote it down. I looked it up. Start Right Here. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Start Right Here. It's by Casting Crowns. Anyways, I was like, ah, just Christian music. And as they started singing the words, I thought, that is so good. That is so good and so true. And it talked about how we create these spaces that we want our comfort that we want to paint a picture and build a church that we can be comfortable and happy in and not have to change who we are. And the lyric says this. It says that we keep our missions overseas. I thought, oh, yes. And here I am listening to this cheesy curse. I'm like, yes, amen. We do that. We want to keep all of our missions and all of our ministries overseas and outward. But man, the Lord calls us to do that right here in our community. And we see that in Jesus' ministry. It's nomadic that he went Jesus went village to village, town to town, person to person, people group to people group, sharing the gospel, healing their sick, having compassion upon the lost sheep. So what was Jesus' response? Is that not only did Jesus go, but he responded and says that Jesus sent. Verse 37 says, he said to his disciples, after going town to town, after seeing these people and having compassion that touched him to his core of who he was. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
to send out workers into his harvest field, that Jesus' response was to send others. You see, the miracle of the multitude is not just for the bread, but it's also for his church. Is that the Lord is multiplying his people, sending them out. That this, the vessel, is a place of multiplication. Is that, that's what God wants to do. When we talk about the Sorensons or we talk about uh, other missionaries that we have and ministry partners that we participate in, it's about being a part of something greater than this, not so that we can create a comfortable Christian country club. And granted, we're meeting in a YMCA, okay? You guys are on the brink, on the tip of the spear. But I want you to know that truly what the Lord wants to do is send out others. She wants to send out us. And for this to be a place of multiplication. And that's why my prayer this year is that the Lord brings someone new every Sunday. Every Sunday, someone new walks through those two doors over there. That the Lord would do this. That he would send out workers for his harvest field. That he would call out new laborers for the sake of his kingdom and his glory. Not so that we can get more nickels and noses. Not so that we can have a comfortable building not so that we can have more people to serve, not so that we can have a bigger budget. You know, Shay and I, when we started in ministry, uh, we were just baby believers and brand new Christians. We started serving in youth ministry because we thought, yeah, you can't mess that up. They're teenagers, right? They're pretty resilient. So we'll just serve with youth. So we started serving with youth and man, we grew like weeds. And I, I did student ministry and I, I was a teacher and a coach and I love young people. And I love students, and there's powerful thing that happen, things that happen in student ministry. It's where I found the Lord. Freshman year before high school is where I found Jesus. And so we started serving in student ministry, and at that time, we had to be there. It was the type of ministry where we felt guilty if we didn't go. It was on Sunday mornings, the same time as our, our main service. And so we had to make a decision. We'd arrive to church, and we'd just say, do we go to the student ministry or do we go to the service? And so we would flip-flop and we'd make that decision. And then they had small groups throughout the week, and we did that every week. And so we felt obligated to be there because we were needed. But the, the church began to grow, and the church that we were part of began to hire out. They hired more staff, more youth workers, more interns, and it got to the place where we were no longer needed. And so we stopped going to their student service. And that's not our heart. He said, God's not calling us to be a place where we can just get more so we can hire people to do it. And that's a tendency that that churches fall into. But our goal here at the vessel is that the Lord would call in laborers to be sent out for the harvest, sent out to this room. And this is what we see Jesus do in the very next chapter. In chapter 10, we see Jesus send out his disciples. We see him, he gather them up, name them by name, and send them out to do the ministry, to be laborers for the harvest field. First, we see that he gives them authority and power. He says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. It's the same with us. Is that the Lord gives us power and authority through his Holy Spirit to go and do his work and to do his ministry. Then in chapter 10, the very next thing that he does is he literally lists every disciple by name, all 12 of them. And here are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who's Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And one by one, he lists them. I am not a list person, and that probably drives my wife crazy because I'm not a good check boxer to-do list 
uh, I don't do lists. The only list I do is I do a list of people. And if you look through my journals, I journal every day, I have a list of people and I guarantee and promise you, your name is in there. And I constantly make lists of people. Who are the people the Lord's brought? Who are the people the Lord's calling? Who are the people that we're praying for to grow in their faith? Who are, we, who, are, who are the people that the Lord is going to be a part of this ministry? And I make list after list after list after list. And the list changes. Sometimes names are taken off. Sometimes names are added. And there's nothing divine about them. But it lets me literally see, God, who is it that you've brought to this church to be a part of this? And the last thing he does is he sends them out. As we close, I want to close with this scripture out of Romans, and we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer here at the end. I'm going to explain what that's going to look like through church at home uh, and, and, and here in the room, because those are going to be two different things. But Romans 10 says this. It says, how then can they call on the one they do not believe in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard of? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And that's all I want you to know. That God is calling us out to carry the gospel, to take the gospel to the world around us. That we have to be nomadic with our faith. That we've got to realize that the Lord every single day has purpose in our lives to spread and share the gospel. And that doesn't mean that you've got to be a preacher with a microphone or you've got to have this beautifully well-rehearsed three-minute elevator speech. It means that you love like Jesus does. That when you see people around you, that you're moved to the core of who you are for compassion for them. That you know how deeply and wonderfully and beautifully they are made and what the Lord did for them. I have a neighbor. I have many neighbors. Shane and I prayed hard about the cul-de-sac that we live on. And God moved us into this place. And, and we got to, to where we are in our, in our community. And every single person on our cul-de-sac, none of them know Jesus Christ. Not a single one of them. So right when we moved in, if you've ever been to my house, I have a little office in the front. Uh, and so I had this chair. I used to turn my chair and I would draw pictures of our cul-de-sac and I would put people by names. And then I would pray holes into them from the window of my front house. They're like, what is this creepy guy doing? He's always by his window. And I just pray for them, 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 pray for them. Uh, one of those families was Jorge and Lisa Gonzalez. They moved in, and man, I prayed a hole through the front door of their house. And man, God called them into this. And now they're a part of the vessel. And we're so grateful. We've done small group at their house. We've walked through really hard times with them. And, and the Lord has, has moved them to be that inward relationship with us, people that know us and love us. But we sit here, and we're in our cul-de-sac, and there's still, there's people around me that do not know Jesus. And so... Last year, I had the opportunity to share the gospel with one of my neighbors, the neighbor that we shared eggs with however many hours ago, last night. And I shared the gospel with him. And he's, he's from Brazil, but he's lived in the United States his whole life. He's never heard the gospel, never. I told him about what Jesus did and about sin and forgiveness and being made whole. He couldn't believe it. He was like, well, what about reincarnation? 
I'm like, no. Like, you are beautifully and wonderfully made, create exactly how God wanted you. He said, you are how he wanted you to be made. There's no reincarnation. I want you to know that the harvest field is plenty. And we need to pray that the Lord sends out workers. Jesus closes with this. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. And so that's what we're going to do in response. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.